This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Surprise, surprise, Ukraine's getting them some fighter jets. This is the Propaganda Report's Drive Time News Blast. I am Brad Binkley. The image you see on screen behind me here is AI generated from mid-journey. And I asked it, this is a theme of the show today, to imagine how the Ukraine-Russia war ends, because that's where I pulled some clips from a panel discussion from the Council on Foreign Relations on that very subject. And every image that they came back with was very pro-Ukraine, solidarity with Ukraine image. So I then said, imagine how the Ukraine-Russia war ends if Russia wins, and then it gave me a more balanced image like the one you see on screen here. Top story. Poland breaks with NATO allies by pledging to send fighter jets to Ukraine. That's a real shocker. I mean, I love this story, especially with a headline here, because it pretends like we weren't planning on doing that anyway. We're not the first ones to do it. Someone else did it. So now we'll follow because we can't just let them go at it alone. Here's the story. Poland on Thursday pledged to pledge that it would send four MIG-29 fighter jets to Ukraine, the first NATO member to do so in a significant move in Kiev's battle to resist Russia's onslaught. Other NATO nations have been reluctant to move far beyond a decision earlier this year to send tanks to Kiev, and the U.S. insisted Thursday that Poland's move would not force Washington's hand. No, it will not force Washington's hand. They're telling the truth there because Washington decided a long time ago that they're going to send planes. It was obvious a few weeks ago when Biden did his interview with David Mueller of ABC News, I believe it is, and Mueller was pressing Biden on, do we need to send planes? And Biden was pushing back, saying, no, we don't need to do that yet. We don't need to do it yet. And finally admitted that he hasn't ruled it out. It was clear then that the decision had already been made to send planes. And I talked about that on the show. They've been having this back and forth. Well, well, you can't talk at all in public about, hey, maybe we shouldn't send multi-billion dollar weapons packages. Maybe that's not wise. However, they've been having this public back and forth since then about, well, should we send the weapons, bigger and badder ones? Should we send the planes with the intel community saying, yes, send bigger, badder weapons and planes, crush Russia now, and Biden pretending to be this reasoned, concerned president. And they did all this for a couple of reasons. One, they want to make it appear as though we're not the first movers on this. We're just following in behind. And they want to make it look like Biden isn't rushing us in to World War Three, they're having this pretend conversation to pace the public, to bring us along with them so that we agree to a decision that they actually made a long time ago. They're just playing pretend right now publicly. It's all just a grand global psyop. So what's going on with this move other than that to get these bigger and badder weapons to Ukraine? And the coordination of all of this stuff, the communication apparatus, reaching different markets and different demographics of people through one media network, through the president, through a late night show, through a think tank 
a panel discussion which occurred yesterday. This is a clip from the Council on Foreign Relations. The subject of the conversation here is how will the Ukraine war end? And speaking as a woman named Alina Polakova, she's the president and chief executive officer for the Center of European Policy Analysis, and she's a professor at John Hopkins University School of Advanced International Studies, and she has a focus on Russia. And here's what she has to say. And I think it's this year that the war has to end. How does the war end? Right. And to my mind, the most optimum scenario, not just for Ukraine, but for the United States and the future of our global leadership, including ramifications and consequences in the Indo-Pacific, is a decisive military win for Ukraine. Do they have what they currently need to make a decisive military win? I'm sure John Brila will have some thoughts on specific systems, but if you talk to Ukrainians, they will say they don't. Mm -hmm. uh, they don't have enough tanks. They don't have enough long range systems that are not modified to shoot at a, a shorter distance than they are potentially capable of. Um, they don't have some other more basic uh, supplies, for example, counter UAS, counter UAV technology. OK, she goes on and on. They don't have anything they need. We need to get them more bigger and better weapons now. And we need to do it this year because if we don't get it done this year. Then this war could go on and on and on and be a forever war. And one of the reasons they talk about needing to get it done this year is because they're worried that Trump or DeSantis, America firsters, at least in their presentation, might win the presidency in 2024. That's what they expressed during this talk anyway. So get Russia, get Ukraine the weapons so they can crush Russia now once and for all. And here she is in this next clip here talking about why, well, elaborating on why the war needs to end this year you know, because we got more wars to fight. We are delusional if we think some sort of frozen settlement is going to lead to a long term solution. It won't. And in fact, I fear that this is the direction that the alliance eventually takes because we get disgruntled because we see public opinion going in a specific direction. It's going to actually leave us in a far, far more dangerous situation in a five to 10 years down the line. Right. Imagine a scenario in which, you know, the war is still going on in Ukraine. We're in a protracted battle. We're still supplying, you know, the policy is relatively the same. We're supplying billions and billions in support for Ukraine to maintain the line. In the meantime, the Russians are rebuilding their military. They've adapted to the sanctions. And then there is uh, a military action by China on Taiwan. That is a far more dangerous scenario to me than what we are in today. So that behooves us to end this now throw whatever we need to throw into Ukraine to help them win, to take back their territory, to force Russians to the negotiating team at the very least. And the only way that's going to happen is with a show of force. Like we know the Russians, you know, the only thing they respond to is brute military force. And that's very, very unfortunate, but it is the truth. The only thing they respond to is a show of force. We must give them a show of force, brute strength. Notice how at the beginning of that, she basically said, you know, public opinion, screw public opinion, because that's going to lead to a protracted war, war five to 10 years from now. Then we're juggling both China and Russia. Both of them, we have bigger wars to fight. We must crush Russia now with bigger, badder weapons, show of strength, eliminate them, because we got more conquering to do. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? 
you need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Take care of Russia, then we take care of China, which by the way, let's say Russia does get defeated by Ukraine, as though it's Ukraine fighting this war. They're on the front. They're, they're the ones who are being flung onto the front lines to die while NATO and the United States pours all this money. And I, I feel sorry for soldiers dying on both sides of this war. It's awful what they're being manipulated into fighting. And let's say Ukraine does win. However, they would measure that. Would that not make it even more likely that Russia then partners up with China to battle us? You, then you throw Iran in there. There's your access of evil, the new one for WW123. Listen to what this other warmonger on the panel has to say. This is Philip M. Breedlove. Guy didn't have a lot of love in his heart, you'll see. He's on the board of directors of the Atlantic Council. He was the 17th Supreme Commander of NATO between 2013 and 2016. He was Obama appointed. He was the 35th Commander-in-Chief of the U.S. Air Forces in Europe. He is sadly a graduate of Georgia Tech. And he's also on the board of advisors at the Center for a New American Security, which is a think tank funded by Northrop Grumman, Neil Blue General Atomics, Lockheed Martin, Lockheed Martin, and the U.S. government, among others, right in the heart of the military-industrial complex. Here's what he has to say. This fear of escalation is exactly what Mr. Putin wants. Mr. Putin's <laughs> army is failing him in the field. Um, as we talked about before, it it has suffered two strategic losses and on the verge of an operational loss, and it's making no ground in its current um, push. And so what is working for Mr. Putin is the war of intimidation, or as we say in military par- parlance, deterrence. He is, we told him early in this war, we, the the West and certainly the United States in our statements, we said, we're going to not going to go to nuclear war. We're not going to escalate to World War Three. And so this is what Mr. Putin plays back to us over and over and over again. Three, four, five times a week, a major Russian somewhere talks about nuclear war. And uh, what our research shows, this is on about a seven to eight day recurring basis. They talk about World War III and Western soldiers dying in Europe. So they're playing back our fears to us and the deterrence is working. It's his most successful tool right now. And, and we can't let that happen. Putin needs to know, bring on World War III. We're ready because fearing nuclear Armageddon is exactly what Putin wants us to do. World War III can't come soon enough. That must be our position. Our boys, girls, and theys are ready to die in the end times over there in Europe. That's this psychopath's position. Not to be outdone by that chick again. Here she is propagating the biggest lie of all which is the whole justification for this thing. We've heard it time and time again from Biden. And the only re- the only way we're going to have a Europe that is secure is if we have a Ukraine that is secure. And that this war that's happening right now, the only reason why you know, it's not moving further is because Ukrainians are dying to protect not just their own sovereign territory, 
but all of European security. And I think we need to be really clear about that, is that people are laying down their lives, not just for themselves and their own country and their land, but for Europe's security architecture, which by definition is also our security architecture as the U.S. is part of NATO, of course. Yeah, and Ukraine's not part of NATO, but same security architecture. So the only thing stopping Putin from marching into New York City tomorrow are the Ukrainians dying on the front line over there. They just use these young soldiers that they manipulate and coerce, Russian and Ukrainians, dying in their little global chess game to reshape the world and reaffirm the power and authority of the New World Order. These people are bloodthirsty psychopaths. Fortunately, there appears to be someone with, with a little bit of a level head on this panel. I hope this guy doesn't eat any food that he doesn't make himself and that he stays away from balconies because the stuff he's saying here, not the type of stuff you should be saying. This is Charles Kupchin. He's a senior fellow at the Council on Foreign Relations and a professor, professor at Georgetown. And I imagine whether he believes this position or not, he seems to. He's reflecting the large portion of society that does have this similar feeling. I don't think we have been having the rich conversation that we need in some ways because it be, has become politically taboo. Oh, it has? We, we haven't been having that rich conversation. Why? Because the president of the United States sits down with David Muir of ABC News. And when asked about the growing number of, uh, he said, Americans, the ABC guy did, uh, uh, who are reluctant to continue sending all that aid to Ukraine, Biden responded by saying, I don't think it's a growing number. I think it's the MAGA mega Republicans. Perhaps that's why it's taboo. To, to say, let's, let's negotiate. Let's try to end this war short of a quote-unquote Ukrainian victory. But it's, not, but it's not to neutralize it's not to neutralize Putin from going against Estonia or Moldova or some other country. Um, I, I do not believe that if Putin ends up with a slice of Donbass, that he is more likely to go after Estonia. Those sorts of arguments, I think, uh, need to be examined very carefully. We don't, and, uh, we don't examine arguments carefully anymore. There's no way this guy's naive to that. The whole purpose of this psychological operation is to prevent people from examining any of the arguments at all and just accepting them wholesale and putting a Ukraine flag in their profile. He continues. I think one of the key challenges we face moving forward is keeping American interests in sync with the nature uh, of our commitment. Okay, that's an interesting comment right there. What she said earlier where she was kind of like, screw public opinion, doesn't matter, we can't let it get that way. That, that's what this whole idea is, what I was talking about earlier, keeping American opinion in sync with what they're doing. And right now it's not in sync with what they're doing. They, they pretend it is, but it's not. But this is why you have Biden pretending to be reserved on whether or not to send bigger and badder weapons. And while we have Poland give the, the planes first so it looks like we're following and we're not the ones diving headfirst into World War Three here because they're trying to align things with public opinion. They, uh, Edward Bernays called it adjustment. Whenever you have your propaganda campaign, your PSYOP, you put it out there, you throw the trial balloons, and you gauge public opinion, and then you adjust the messaging, the back and forth and the arguments to, to match with public opinion as much as possible and then to pace and lead it 
to take it where you want it to go. And that's going to be difficult moving forward. And so three quick observations. One is that this strikes me as... She, you think she's drinking uh, adrenochrome blood, like the blood of Greta in that cup right there, that woman in blue, the warmonger? I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm assuming probably. This strikes me as uh, a war that lies somewhere in between a vital national interest of the United States and a conflict in which we have very little skin in the game. Uh, it's not a vital national interest because otherwise we'd have boots on the ground and we'd be talking about bringing Ukraine into NATO. Neither of those is happening, at least now. And as a consequence, we have to find that, that middle ground between helping Ukraine defend itself and a full-scale war between NATO and Russia. The second observation is... So, so that guy, the warmonger, who's there virtually, thank goodness he's there virtually because he'd probably jump out of his seat and strangle this guy if he wasn't. He keeps coughing and choking in the middle of this, guy, this guy's points that uh, clearly he's not happy with what he's saying. Is I think, you know, for me, the key goal here is, is a defensible, secure, prosperous Ukraine. It's not necessarily that Ukraine with 100% of its territorial integrity. And I fear that we could lose Ukraine in trying to save Ukraine. Uh, and as a consequence, I would focus more on making sure that the Ukraine that's out there, whether it's 90% or 95% or 99% or 100% is a, is a viable country. And that's a question mark for me when the Ukrainian economy has already shrunk by 30 plus percent and its infrastructure in cities continue to get hit. Uh, third observation. The infrastructures in cities continue to get hit because they want to demolish it so they can build it back better into the world's first fully e-government. This is obvious. I would make here is I think we as, an Amer as Americans foreign policy community in Washington need to be careful not to overstate the stakes. <laughs> I hear on a daily basis, this is the front line of democracy. Uh, this is the last defense of the rules-based international system. He, he hears it in this very discussion. <laughs> uh, I think those are overstatements. You think? And I think we ought to have a sober conversation in this city about exactly what the stakes are. That's not going to happen. Two uh, final comments on escalation and i do think this is probably a place where we differ <laughs> this is a place where they differ <laughs> everything he said they have been on the extreme opposite of um i, I think the con the, the, the chances of escalation to a wider war including a nuclear war are not insignificant if ukraine tries to take back crimea by force now, I might say the chances of a nuclear use are 40 percent. General Brilliant may say 20. Alina may say 10. To me, the question is, is it worth it? Is getting Crimea back to Russia, back to Ukraine now worth running that risk? And my answer to that is no. So his answer is no. Both of these other two, I didn't cut the clips. The, the guy said this war doesn't end until Ukraine takes back that territory. Crimea. Chick said basically the same thing. So, so he's like, do we really want to risk World War III? This guy's like, bring it on. Crimea or nukes, baby. 
uh, everybody pray for that guy. Let's hope he's okay. He might just be trying to, like I said, reflect the arguments of reasonable people who use their thinking brain. And finally today, because I got to run and I'm going to be doing Cam show with him tonight. I'm going to do uh, a, a DMB XR after we record that show. So there will be more content coming and it just will be later tonight. But I wanted to go ahead and get this out there. Here is Kamala. I was talking earlier about the different channels of communication that we we hear these messages from. You know, we had the one coming from CNN, then we had this one coming from the Council on Foreign Relations think tank, and now we have it coming from Late Night with Stephen Colbert, who has Kamala Harris, the vice president, on the show with him. Here's what she had to say when Stephen asked about, with a very concerned-looking expression on his face, very concerned, Colbert, about DeSantis being against helping Ukraine the way that we're helping them with all the aid. Someone like Governor DeSantis, who, while there is a strain of isolationism all throughout American history, yeah. is saying that this is not in America's strategic interest yeah. to side with the Ukrainians and offer them the material aid they need to defend themselves against an invading power. So... As vice president, I have now met with over 100 world leaders, presidents, prime ministers, chancellors, and kings. And when you have had the experience of meeting and and understanding the significance, again, of international rules and norms and the importance of the United States of America standing firm and clear about the significance of sovereignty and territorial integrity, the significance of standing firm against any nation that would try to take by force another nation, if you really understand the issues, you probably would not make statements like that. Wow, applause sign. She said nothing. She just said nothing right there. Except maybe if you really understand what's going on, then you wouldn't make statements opposing global war like that. And then the crowd's just like, yeah, clapping. They have no idea what she just said. These people are crazy. Here's like a selfie that Colbert and Kamala took on set last night of his show. I'm certain that if you asked Midjourney AI art generator to imagine disingenuous, This is the image that would come up. The two of the most disingenuous people you're going to see in media right now. That's where I'm going to wrap the show up. Thank you guys for listening. Follow me at Freedom Act Radio on Twitter, YouTube.com slash Brad Binkley, Rumble.com slash Propaganda Report, PropagandaFight.com is the website, Patreon.com slash Propaganda Report to support the show, PropReport.Locals.com. You can also subscribe there for the subscriber-only content and the ad-free content. I remove the ads for subscribers on Patreon and on Locals. We'll talk to you guys next time. Have a fantastic rest of your day.